Father, Lord, we just want to thank you that you are so patient with us. Father, we know that we are not worthy to be called your children. And sometimes, Father, we even take for granted the privilege that we are even able to pray to you. Father, as we spend this time in contemplating on what you have truly given us, we ask that your spirit would be here, that you would hide me behind your cross, that I would gain no glory for this, Father, but that you would be glorified. We pray in your precious name. Amen. There's a quote that has been becoming very important to me as I've been studying this, and it's probably something that is very familiar to many of you, but I just want to read this very quickly before we begin. It's from The Desire of Ages, page 83. And you probably know this quotation. It says, It would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. That quote continues to say this, We should take it point by point and let the imagination... I want to stop there. Can your imagination get you into trouble sometimes? What do you think? You better believe it can. Sometimes if you let your mind water on certain things, your imagination gets you in a lot of trouble. But it says here, God gave you your imagination for a reason. And it says, and let the imagination grasp each scene, especially the closing ones. And that's what we're going to start doing this afternoon, is we're going to be taking a look at what took place in the last days of Christ's life. Let's take a look here at our first verse. Let's go to the book of Revelation. Yes, we're going to start in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 14, starting in verse 4. This is talking about the 144,000, or the elect. But it gives us something very interesting that I believe that we should all be abiding by today. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 4. If you're there, say amen. If you're not, say have mercy. All right, we'll wait just a minute. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 4. This is powerful stuff. Here it talks about people that are virgins. Now, this isn't talking about physical virgins, how we think of it, but this is talking about spiritual virgins, people that weren't defiled with false doctrines or things of this world. Are you following? All right, let's take a look at this. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins, spiritually speaking, mind you. These are they, now this is it, these are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. I want to stop right there. Now, I know that I'm a Seventh-day Adventist church, and I'm going to get some, some feedback for this. But let me ask you, are you willing to take Jesus by the hand and follow him into our heavenly mansion? What do you think? We all want to follow Jesus to heaven, don't we? We're looking forward to that day when he comes, and that trumpet of God sounds, the dead in Christ rise, and we get to follow Jesus to heaven. Praise the Lord for that. But it doesn't just say to follow the Lamb to heaven. It says to follow the Lamb, of course, being Jesus, wherever he goes. As we take a look at the life of Christ... We have to be able to answer some of these questions honestly. When you take a look at Jesus as he was just born, he was born in humility, wasn't he? He was born in a very lowly place, in a trough that animals ate out of, of all things. Not many people knew that he was even being born except for a few common laborers, shepherds, right? Jesus 
was born in humility. Now, relating that to Revelation chapter 14, verse 4, let me ask you the question. Jesus was willing to become humble. Are you willing to follow the Lamb and be humbled? What do you think? As we continue on in Jesus' life, we found that he grows up in Nazareth, and he lives his first about 30 years of hard labor with his father, working in his carpenter shop. Jesus worked hard, and he didn't get any glory. He didn't get any fame. He didn't get many pats on the back. But he learned the lesson of working hard and not gaining credit for it. Are you willing to follow Jesus there? Are you willing to work behind the scenes and not want all the glory and honor for it, but giving it to Jesus? What do you think? We won't just stop there. As Jesus was baptized and went down to the River Jordan, are you willing to follow him there? As Jesus continued his earthly ministry, he left his home and he selflessly ministered to people. Are you willing in your life today to follow the Lamb wherever He goes and selfly minister to people, all for the glory of God? And finally, this is where it starts to get a little bit more intense. But before we go there, I want to ask you this. As Jesus was finishing His earthly ministry here on earth, And he gave the great commission. In the book of Acts, we see him ascend into heaven, go back to the throne of God, be reunited there with his father, be reunited with the tens of thousands of angels. As he was finally back home, how do you think the throne room of heaven reacted? With excitement, right? With praise, with honor. Let's just just, turn there. Let's not just talk about it. You're already in Revelation. Go backwards there to Revelation chapter 4, if you would. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we see that Jesus is finally coming back into heaven, back into the throne room of God, and we see that they sing him a song. This is very interesting here. We'll start here in verse 8. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8. It says, And the four beasts had each of them six wings. We've talked about that earlier about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, now this is interesting, a little bit off topic, but they say, holy, holy, holy. Why do you think that they say holy three times? What do you think? Are they saying holy just to God the Father? They're saying holy to God the Father, holy to the Son, and holy to who? Who do you think? The Holy Spirit. The reason that they say holy three times is because there is an eternal Godhead. Can I say amen? They say, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts gave glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who lives forever and ever. Now let's go down here to verse 11. They cast their crowns before the throne and they said, thou art what? Worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things and for your pleasure they are and were created. Let me ask you, friends, is Jesus worthy? Is he worthy enough for you? We are all willing to follow the lamb to heaven. And you've just told me that you're willing to follow the lamb through humility. You're willing to follow the lamb in selfless service. You're willing to follow the lamb wherever he goes. But get this, right before Jesus was able to gain this glory that someday we will be joining him with when we get to heaven someday in that second coming, 
Do you believe you're going to join him on something like that? Amen to that. But before Jesus got that glory in heaven that only he deserved, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, we often refer to him as the Lamb. We don't often think of him as the Lion as well, right? As he came back a conqueror, he had to go through a few other things as well. And these we often don't like to mention as much as the glory. But let me ask you this. If you're willing to follow the Lamb wherever he goes, are you willing to follow him to Gethsemane? Are you willing to follow him as Jesus was betrayed by one of his own? And yes, are you willing to follow Jesus on the path to Calvary's cross to his crucifixion? Think about that for a minute. We are all willing to follow Jesus to heaven and follow the Lamb there. But are we willing to do those other things as well? This is what we're going to be studying here. That quote said, let the imagination grasp each scene, especially the closing ones. I truly want you to think about this and truly let your imagination go for a minute. It's okay to do that. As Jesus was there in Gethsemane and the drops of blood were pouring down his brow, as all of the sin of humanity was being placed on his back and crushing him under the burden that he had never felt before. And he sensed that his father was growing distant from him because the sins were being placed on him. Are you willing to follow him there? Now I know that we're not going to be able to truly experience everything that Jesus did because only Jesus Christ was the one that's going to go through all of that. But don't miss the point. Are you willing to wrestle with God as Jesus did? To take a look at the cup and say, not my will, but your will be done. If there's any way, please let this cup pass from me. Be strengthened. Be tormented. To go through that time of tribulation. And even yourself may be doubt. My friends, following the Lamb wherever He goes isn't all just sunshine and rainbows. Following the Lamb wherever He goes is often a hard path to take. And I don't want to be depressing here, my friends. That's not my goal. We need to keep our eyes on the prize. Amen? We need to realize that we're not doing this alone and we're going to get there. But are you willing to follow the Lamb wherever He goes? Let's start taking a look at some of these examples of the last few moments of his life. Let's take a look here what he tells his disciples is going to happen in the future. Let me ask you, did Jesus warn his disciples about these times of trouble? What do you think? Over and over again, right? Let's take a look at a couple examples of this. Go to the book of John. John chapter 13 and verse 1. John chapter 13 and verse 1. We're going to look at a couple um, verses in this chapter that kind of stand alone a little bit. John chapter 13 and verse 1. John 13.1 says this. this is, if you have a, a subtitle right there, this is happening at the Last Supper. Now it says this. Now before the feast of the Passover, 
When Jesus, what's that next word? Knew. Interesting. When Jesus knew that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them until the end. Now let me ask you, my friends, did Jesus know that his hour was coming? How? How did Jesus know that his hour of betrayal, his hour of crucifixion, his hour of trial, how did he know that that was coming? You think he might have read the scriptures a little bit? Do you think he might have read the prophecies of Isaiah and Daniel? Just imagine this, my friends, but as Jesus first read these prophecies of Isaiah as a young boy, and as he was reading the prophecies of Daniel and studying them, he came to the realization eventually that those prophecies were about him. And he was going to need to know that for the future. Jesus knew that his hour was come, not just because he studied the scriptures, although that's a big part of it, but do you think he was in communion with his father? Oh, yeah. And do you think that Christ's father gave him some information that Jesus might need? Absolutely. My friends, we should be doing the same thing today. We'll go on that in just a minute. Let's continue on here to John chapter 13. Let's look here at verse 19, another example of this. Jesus is talking, and notice what he says. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it has come to pass, you may believe that I am he. He's telling them what's going to take place. Now jump down to verse 38. Well, we'll start here in verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where, where do you go? Jesus answered him, where I go... You cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. Jesus here is telling Peter that he's going to live the life of a martyr eventually, but not right now. Did that prophecy come true? It did. Not right at that moment, but later on. But he continues here. Peter said to him, Lord, why cannot I follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say to you, the cock shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Did Jesus know? Jesus knew that his hour was come. Jesus knew exactly when it was going to take place. Let me ask you, before this time, had Jesus' life ever been threatened? What do you think? It had been, right? And Jesus went away from that conflict because he knew that his hour was not yet come. My friends, there's going to come a time when our hour of tribulation is coming. And it's happening, it's going to be happening sooner than we may think. And unless we are reading the scriptures of God, which we're going to be looking at in a minute, unless we are in communion with our Heavenly Father, then my friends, you're not going to be ready. Let's take another look at another example here. Go to Matthew chapter 26. Jesus was never taken by surprise. Matthew 26. And verse 31. Matthew 26 and verse 31. Notice what Jesus says here. And Jesus even quotes some scripture. Look what he says. Then says Jesus unto them, to his disciples, All you shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Very similar to what we just read. But Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, By the way, 
when everything is about to go down and my hour is come, all of you are going to scatter. It didn't take Jesus by surprise. He knew that it was going to happen. And notice what his disciples say. We see Peter here. Look what he says in verse 33. Peter answered and said to him, Though all men be offended because of you, yet will I never be offended, right? Jesus tells him that he will deny him three times. We just read that. But it wasn't just Peter that said this. Often we think it was Peter that was being kind of overconfident. But look what the other disciples said too. In verse 35, Peter was the spokesperson. Peter said to him, though I should die with you, yet will I, I will not deny you. Likewise also said who? All the disciples. It wasn't just Peter who said, I will never leave you. But was Matthew saying the same thing? Was John the beloved saying the same thing? Let me ask you, when Jesus was facing that time of tribulation there when the mom came upon him, did John scatter? He did. Did Judas forsake him? He did. And even in this passage, Judas is saying, I would rather die. My friends, I hope you're starting to see this parallel. Jesus went through a tribulation right before he saw heaven again. And we are going to be going through some tribulation right before we see heaven. Do you see it? And so often when we think about heaven, we think about, there's lots of different words for it. We hear tribulation. We hear the time of trouble. We hear some other names as well, but it all means the same thing. But when we hear about the time of trouble and the tribulation that's going to happen like no other time in history, that God will have to cut the time short that no man might live anymore. When all of this is taking place, we need to remember that we shouldn't be following the example of the disciples, but the example of Jesus. We cannot be denying our Savior. But when I think sometimes of that time in trouble, I lost my train of thought for a minute. Often when I think about that, it can be scary, can't it? When you think about the tribulation, you think about the time of trouble, and I think to myself, all right, Garrett, what's going to happen? What are you going to do? And I think, I'm a man of principle. I love my Savior. I'm knowledgeable. I know what's going to happen. I'll die for this. And I had never put two and two together. But that's exactly what Peter was saying. He was saying, I'm a man of principle. I love this man as if he was my own brother. Talking about Jesus. I'll die for him. My friends, the only way that you're going to make it through tribulation is if God performs a miracle. When that Sunday law hits and the mark is given out and people are hunting you down like animals, and I'm not trying to scare you, my friends, but this is going to take place. There's no way you're going to be able to hide. Except a miracle from God. But I believe that God's still in the business of doing miracles. What do you think? If God wants to have you survive during the time of tribulation, He's going to make that happen. If God wants you to die a martyr for Him during that time of tribulation, He's going to give you that strength to die a martyr, wouldn't you say? 
The only way that we're going to be able to survive this time when we walk through Gethsemane just like Jesus did, when we walk through trials and tribulations just like Jesus did, we might be betrayed. The only way we're going to make it is the same way that Jesus did and relying upon the power of his Father. It's going to happen. We can't be in denial about it. Now this next verse, this is the one that makes me shake with fear a little bit. You're in Matthew. Go to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 17. Jesus does something here. And he risks his life in doing this. And we can see that happen. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 17. Get this. And Jesus... Going up to Jerusalem, took the 12 disciples apart in the way. So did Jesus take his 12 disciples aside for a private meeting, yes or no? He did. He didn't want anyone else hearing this. What Jesus is about to say next was the very excuse that the Sadducees and Pharisees were looking for to kill him. Because what he's about to say is blasphemy if he is not the Son of God. But he is. And so he can get by in saying this because it happens. Now notice what he says. 18. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. There's the place. And the Son of Man shall be betrayed. There's how. Unto the chief priests and to the scribes. There's who. And they shall condemn him to death. There's the aftermath. And shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock, to scourge, to crucify, and the third day he shall rise again. That's a heavy load he just laid upon his disciples. Do you realize that? Jesus looks at his disciples and says, Guys, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be betrayed. Three days I'm going to rise up, but you've got to be ready for this. That's a pretty clear warning, isn't it? As clear as you can get. Now, why does this make you tremble a little bit, Garrett? This is the reason why. Read the next verse. Directly after Jesus drops this bomb on his disciples, there's no dialogue about it. Nothing. It's like it fell on deaf ears. Because notice what happens. I don't know if Jesus... Didn't even have time to catch his breath before this happened. But I believe it's in order for this reason. Notice what happens here in verse 20. Right after he says he's going to be crucified for all of mankind's sake, verse 20, then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing. And he said to her, basically, what wilt thou or what do you want, right? She said to him, grant that these my two sons may sit the one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. Do you realize what just happened here? The audacity. Jesus just told his disciples what was going to be taking place. And then they ask him who's going to be greatest in their, his kingdom. 
Let's look at ourselves for just a minute. It's really easy to shake your heads at the disciples and be like, how can you be so blind? But my friends, we're going to read a quote in just a minute, but this is the fact of the matter. Just as Jesus was clear with his disciples, Scripture is just as crystal clear with us about what's going to be taking place. Just as clear. And yet many of us are worried about who's going to be greatest in his kingdom. Many of us are worried about who's going to be greatest in the church. Many of us are worried about the theology behind what color sandals Jesus wore. And we're not focusing on the warning that he's given us. My friends, just think about this for a minute. When Jesus was there hanging upon the cross, the consequence and the fate of humanity was hanging in the balance. As all the forces of evil were attacking Jesus right then and there, if Jesus would have snapped his finger, tens of thousands of angels would have been happy to come and bring him home and let humanity work it out for themselves. Eventually, just die off, right? What if that would have happened? Now, don't think about that for too long because it didn't happen. Praise the Lord, amen? But my friends, the only reason that Jesus was able to make it through that time of tribulation is because he had reliance upon his Father and he knew what was going to be happening. This is getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I have to go here. When Jesus was there in Gethsemane and he prayed and all of his disciples slept, we're going to go over this, and he went and he faced the mob, Jesus didn't face them with fear. He faced them head on. Why? Because he knew that his hour had come and he had just been strengthened by an angel sent from his father. And he can do that with us today. Don't be worried about who is greatest in the kingdom. We need to worry about getting ready for the kingdom. Wouldn't you agree? So often, and I, I don't want to be mistaken here, but so often we as Seventh-day Adventists, it's in our name, we say we're so excited for Jesus to come, right? And I sh we should be. Jesus is coming. We just can't wait for it to happen. But sometimes we're so excited looking at the goal that we forget what we're going to have to go through first, just as the disciples did. I want to read you a quote here. Oh, one other thing. There, right after Jesus had given them that warning and they were worried about who was greatest, Luke says it this way in Luke 22, 24. And there was also strife among them. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? The disciples didn't have a united front, did they? Sometimes I gain a little bit of comfort knowing that the greatest man of all time had strife in his small congregation of 12. 
But my friends, the thing about the disciples, yes, although Peter denied Jesus and all of them fled, he forgave them and they did mighty things. But in our time of trouble, before Jesus comes, I don't want to scare you or sound harsh, but if we deny Christ and we lay him aside and probation closes, there's going to be no time to come back. And we can avoid all of that by being ready now. What do you think? Listen to this quote here. It's from The Great Controversy, page 594. This is powerful stuff, but it's also really pointed. Before his crucifixion, the Savior explained to his disciples that he was to be put to death and rise again from the tomb. And angels were present to impress his words on minds and hearts. But the disciples were looking for temporal deliverance from the Roman yoke. And they could not tolerate the thought that he in whom all their hopes centered should suffer an ignominious death. The words which they needed to remember were banished from their minds. Banished from their minds. Think, think about that. And when the time of trial came, it found them unprepared. The death, as full, the death of Jesus as fully destroyed their hopes as if he had not forewarned them. Think about that. It was if what Jesus had said were banished from their minds. Jesus didn't tell them that warning and then banish it from their minds. The disciples banned it from their own minds, didn't they? They were so worried about their freedom from the Romans that they pushed that tribulation aside as an afterthought and didn't even remember it. My friends, if we keep our head in the sand about this time of tribulation, if we keep our head in the sand about this persecution, then when Jesus comes, you're not going to be able to hear him, figuratively speaking. We have to be ready now because we don't know when this time of tribulation is going to take place. You know, we often shake our heads at the disciples and wonder how they could be so ignorant. But listen to how this quote continues here in Great Controversy, page 594. So in the prophecies, talking about Daniel, Revelation, Matthew 24, all those prophecies. So in the prophecies, the future is open before us as plainly as it was open to the disciples by the words of Christ. We look and we say, man, guys, Jesus was so clear. How could you miss it? And Jesus is looking at us right now and saying, guys, how can I be more clear? How are you missing it? Do not take the example of the disciples and be asleep. Take the example of Jesus and watch and pray. Wrestle with your Father in heaven. Because you're not going to be able to get through this by your own will. Or by your own stubbornness or willpower. Only through the blood of Jesus, only through His strength, are we going to be ready. And by the way, you should have assurance of that. The quote continues. Yeah, it goes on. I know it hurts. It hurts me too. 
the events connected with the close of probation and the work of preparation for the time of trouble are clearly presented. My friends, I believe that we're living in a time where this is starting to take place. I don't know when exactly it's going to happen. It might be a few years from now. It might be longer than that. I don't know, and I don't want to get involved with all of that. All I know is that my probation might end in a few minutes. We have to be ready now. We have to watch and pray and not have our heads in the sand from this warning that he's given us. One last quote. This is from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 80. The days of purification of the church are hastening on. God will have a people pure and true. In the mighty sifting soon to take place, we shall be better able to measure the strength of Israel. My friends, I believe that this is taking place as we speak. It's beginning to happen. And this hurts me to say it, guys, but it's the truth. I've seen my own family members, not immediate family, praise God. But I've seen uncles. I've seen my aunts. I've seen some of my cousins. I've seen so many of my friends and family just leave the church. And I'm not talking about just leaving the church. I'm talking about leaving Jesus. They've grown up for this for years. And over a bit of, a bit of compromise, they're just gone. And yet at the same moment, there are people that are coming into our churches that are simply just walking off the streets and saying, this is truth. How have I not seen it before? The sifting is happening right now. There's being people that are shaken out by droves. There are people that are coming in by droves. My friends, if you're here right now, don't be shaken out. If you've just come in, praise the Lord because God saw it fit to shake you in. You should be privileged because of that. And you are privileged because of that. Thank you for listening to him. But my friends, this time is coming oh so very soon. We have to be ready. Friends, today I don't have, like I normally do, I don't have a little appeal story in the end that makes you smile or that makes you look back on history and think, oh, that's kind of cool, or some twist on things. I don't have any of that today. There's a time and place for it, but not right now. The call I want to make for you today isn't one that I want you to publicly display. But this is the call. And I want you to think about this for you. And don't take me wrong, but I don't want you to think about your children right now. I don't want you to think about your spouse. Think about you for just a minute, just you. If you're a young person in this audience today, don't think about anyone else. Think about you. You can think for yourself too for just a minute. And and please be honest with yourself and God. Are you willing to follow the Lamb wherever He goes? Are you willing to follow the Lamb in humility, 
Are you willing to follow the Lamb in selfless service? But more importantly, are you willing to follow the Lamb in baptism? But as we continue on, are you willing to follow the Lamb through Gethsemane? To be sweating. To be wrestling with God about things in your life that if you don't know should be there or not. And my friends, this is another part. We will never experience the pain that Jesus did on Calvary. But I'll tell you this. Jesus went through a lot of pain. We're going to go through some pain as well because there's something in our life that needs to be crucified. I don't know what that may be for you. But in your life, do you want to follow the Lamb wherever He goes and crucify that one pet sin in your life? I don't know what it may be. You might not even have it on your mind right now. Whether it be that temper that just keeps getting the better of you, crucify it. Whether it be those words that you don't want to say and you're gritting your teeth so you don't say them because you know it's wrong and then you just let it out, crucify it. If it's your favorite beverage in a nice cold can that you know isn't good for you, and that God told you not to drink of, and you think it's a small thing, crucify it. If it's something that's flashing across your TV screens that doesn't fit of a good report, crucify it. If it's something that's flashing across your phone screen, maybe it's late at night and you don't think anyone else is watching, Crucify it. And it's going to hurt. Trust me, I've been there. And I'm still going to go through more. But if I can give up those things for Jesus, it's not about giving it up. It's about Jesus filling me up. Because once I give one of those things and I let it go, He gives me something that is far greater than anything that I could ever imagine. And my friends, those things that I just mentioned, maybe it's something I didn't mention. You know you. It might might seem like a small thing. I'm not trying to be legalistic here. But what is Jesus calling you to do? Are you willing to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. And as Jesus leads you along, my friends, it's not always going to be an easy ride, but you'll have Jesus right by your side. I know I'm I'm going on, but you know, sometimes, not to go on a tangent, but sometimes this is the only scripture that people get all week. Sometimes coming to church for a few minutes is all the word of God that you might hear. I'm not trying to point fingers at you. I don't know who you are. There might not even be anyone here that's like that. But my friends, today, if that's you, and the only amount of scripture that you hear is that that's being given by the pulpit, you're missing out. Not just on a relationship with Jesus, which is so important. But what I'm giving to you is secondhand. It's something that I've already chewed up 
and I'm given to you. Excuse the rough, rough example. But do some chewing yourself. Do you know what I'm saying? Read it and study it for yourself. Don't rely on me. Don't rely on your elder. Don't rely on Doug Batchelor. Rely on God. And I just want to close with this. Maybe you don't know how to study your Bible. Maybe you, you're like, man, I've got my Bible here, and I, I have good intentions, and I, I look to read it in the morning or the evening or whenever I try, and I've said, okay, 20 minutes, and I just, I'm not getting it. I don't know how. My friends, if you're having a difficult time studying the Bible, don't be ashamed of that because we've all been there. And sometimes I'm still there. If you need some help on how to have a devotional life, I don't know all the answers, but please call me and we'll find out what works for you. Whether it's praying and journaling your thoughts down and praying to God about what you've written down, whether it's reading a book with an elder, whether it's reading the Bible, or whether it's a certain part of the Bible that you want to explore, you need to, I don't know what it is, but my friends, if you need help reading the Bible, please let me know, because this offer isn't going to stand forever. Because at some point, the Bible is going to be limited. At some point, this time of tribulation is going to take place. And we need to be like Jesus and know that our hour is coming. And not be like the disciples and be caught unaware. We can't scatter anymore. We can't sleep anymore. We have to follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we are somber this, this afternoon. And Father, that doesn't mean that we're not full of joy because we know that you are coming to take us to heaven. We know that you have died on the cross for our sins. And that gives us joy enough, Father. But Lord, we also realize the seriousness about the battle that we're in right now and the battle that's about ready to get much more intense. And we know that we're fighting against powers that are far greater than us. And Father, we are on our knees and we are pleading with you to get us through it. Father, please, may we watch and pray. Draw close to us, Father, and give us the assurance that we are ready today. And when you lead us, Father, sometimes kicking and screaming, thank you for being also very patient with us, we pray. In your name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.